Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the Aquarius Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Reed. The Aquarius Podcast is sponsored by Awaza and their BioPlus line of internal filters. So it'd be easy for me to highlight a list of features that the BioPlus internal filters have and talk a bit about each one, like the integrated heater and the thermo series, the adjustable water flow nozzle that allows you to have a diffuse water outflow, or the fact that it's super quiet. What I want to talk about is use case. Because to be honest, what is the application for an internal power filter when filtration is available in the form of canister filters, hang-on back filters, and sponge filters? Why go for a powered internal model? Well, I think it comes down to two reasons. The first being space outside the tank, and the second being aesthetics within the tank. Not every tank is positioned or set up in a way that can accommodate a hang-on back or canister filter. And if you're focused on achieving a certain aquascaping aesthetic, perhaps you don't want a sponge filter or heater visible. So that's where it seems the BioPlus comes into play and really shines. With a sleek design that mounts discreetly in the corner of your aquarium, providing mechanical and biological filtration with variable flow rates. If you want to learn more about the BioPlus, click on the Awaza sponsor link in the show notes. Now, on to the interview. Today's date is Thursday, February 7th, 2019. My guest today is Dr. Ashley Emanuel. Ashley is a veterinarian with Avian and Exotic Animal Care Veterinary Hospital in Raleigh, North Carolina. Ashley's educational experience includes receiving her Bachelor's of Science in Marine Biology from Roger Williams University of Rhode Island and her veterinary medicine degree from North Carolina State University. And to really fish nerd out, Ashley is North Carolina's first certified aquatic veterinarian, a distinction awarded by the World Aquatic Veterinary Medical Association. So Ashley, welcome to the Aquarius Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> I think I'm very excited to have you on. I think if I, I think if I added any more like veterinarian or vet or like veterinary in that intro, I would not have been able to get through it. So. It's a surprisingly cumbersome word. You know, I have to spell it out in my head every time I write it. Still, and I am one. So I, I'm glad because I actually had to keep checking like my little uh, Google tabs or whatever to make sure I was spelling it right, and I wasn't getting the and I and I, I wasn't getting the the angry red underline underneath it. So I was throwing the right letters together. Together. So at least I uh, don't know how we spell anything without spell check anymore. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. I've actually like turned <laughs> off. I've turned off auto correct on my phone just to force me <laughs> to actually be able to to spell correctly. Like it's it's terrible. Um, yeah. So I've wow man, we've completely digressed in like the first twenty <laughs> seconds of the fish podcast. Good times. So, so actually, I want to set it up. Um, I first met kind of met you, although we never actually interacted, so I just kind of was in the audience. Um, you gave a super awesome talk at Aquatic Experience last year in Secaucus, New Jersey, and the topic was on fish nutrition. And um, I attended this talk because it sounded super interesting, and I'm so glad that I did because you are an amazing presenter. You, oh, you know, thank you. yeah, clearly from your, you know, your credentials, like you have a wealth of educational and professional experience in dealing with with fish. So it's nice to have like firsthand, um, <laughs> like somebody that can come on and actually provide firsthand knowledge on some of these subjects that you know I feel like on the internet, if you do Google searching and you end up on forums or YouTube videos, you you may get pulled down the wrong direction, um, and, and and it's not that maybe even maybe it's the right direction for the wrong reason. But you know, as we kind of talked about a little bit in the in the you know pre-interview section of the show, and you alluded to in your talk, like there's just not much known about fish. Yeah, um, 
Um, Absolutely. And, and so for some people to just kind of make assumptions or make guesses and then to put that information out there could potentially be bad for your fish. So it's so awesome to have a vet on the podcast. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm just a big fish nerd at heart. So <laughs> it's um, it's nice to get to talk to hobbyists too. So uh, awesome. I like to be, I can be overwhelming sometimes with my like veterinary friends. They're okay, Ashley, we don't need to talk about this. You know, so it's nice to... Um, find my people. Yeah, don't don't worry. We can dumb it down and keep it hobbyist level. So. <laughs> no, I no. could totally I could totally serve that need. Anytime you need a lower IQ conversation about fish, <laughs> I'm your man. <laughs> and then, yeah, the other really cool thing about your talk too, other than the content was that you had some um, you know, it was a I, I from what I call, recall, it was one of the smaller rooms, but it was packed. Like I, there were a lot of people there that were that um, wanted to hear your, your presentation. Um, but one of the audience members was Gary Bagnell, the president of ZooMed. So really cool that you know he pulled himself away from his booth there that he's spending you know a good amount of money on to represent his yeah. brand, and he showed up to your talk, and that was really cool. And he was <laughs> he was super engaged and was actually asking you questions at the end. Um, yeah, so. it was uh, it was a little scary, <laughs> but he's he's a very nice guy. So yeah, Gary. Great to see him. I think they were in the front row too, so I was trying really hard to not be a huge goofball. But <laughs> no, yeah, he was he was definitely engaged, and that was that was pretty cool. So again, you know, um, kudos to you on your on your presentation skills. Yeah, thank you. All right, so where does it all begin for for Doctor Ashley Emanuel? Right. So <laughs> so what is like your origin story? How did you get started becoming a fish nerd? Um, you know, I don't really remember the genesis of everything, but we were talking a little bit before and laughing about how we can look back as adults and, you know, as hobbyists and say, oh my God, what was I doing when I was a kid? Like, this is so embarrassing. So when I was probably 10 or 11, my birthday party with my family was fish themed and, uh, <laughs> my parents asked all of our family members to bring something to contribute to a fish tank. And so, you know, by the end of this party, to my horror as an adult, I had, you know, brand new water with probably way overstocked and mixed species and nothing probably got rinsed and nobody was acclimated and, you know, goldfish swimming with tetras. It was just anarchy. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm a little sad thinking about all those fish who went up to uh, fish heaven after that. But that was probably the start of it, getting to have my own tank at home and take care of it. And I've pretty much had fish on and off for the rest of my life and, since then. And conceptually, like, that is such a cool idea for a birthday party, right? Like, <laughs> I know. Like, everybody, family, friends, like, we're setting up a fish tank, bring something. But when left, like, unguided, right, without, you know, oh clear God. direction on, like, you yep. know, Uncle Bob, you do not get to bring the red hair. Like, you, you know, like, this is the tank. Yes. This is what you can buy. Like, here's – I feel like with the technology we have online of, like, baby registries and whatnot, you can put the stuff on there. Like, hey, setting up a fish tank, these are the exact things that we want. Like, don't bring this water conditioner. We want this one. I feel like yep. I feel like somebody out there should try that. I was going to say, that's a brilliant idea. I think we should start that business, the the baby registry for fish tanks. But, oh, goodness. you know, the, just the, the most well-intentioned idea. And, yeah. you know, my parents took me to aquariums wherever we were once I started to show an interest in it. So I've been to aquariums all over the country just because I love them. I love being around them. And, uh, you know, I really have my parents to thank that once I showed interest in it, they're like, all right, we'll go to another aquarium. <laughs> nice. Now, were there any, you know, as you, you know, from when you got your first 20 gallon, um, you know, Thunderdome crazy anarchy tank, were, <laughs> were there any like fish um, or species or, or genera that you gravitated towards uh, more so than others? 
Um, so I'm I'm a big invertebrate fan. <laughs> you know, I think that there's really something to be said for these kind of like unsung heroes of the fish tank. Um, but when I was in college, I got into culturing cuttlefish. Um, so, you know, not quite the goldfish, but um, it was really fun to learn kind of a crash course in saltwater maintenance and sumps. Um, I started with an octopus and then we got cuttlefish. Uh, so those are, you know, the invertebrates are really my favorite, but in terms of practice, um, give me a big fat goldfish or a koi any day. I think they're so much fun. Oh, nice. Okay. So you fall, yeah, you fall into the, into the koi goldfish category then on the freshwater yeah. side. Awesome. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's the most common thing that we see around here in North Carolina. It's, it's a really nice area for outdoor koi ponds. And so we have a lot of those kind of clients that we get to see. Oh, nice. I think I've shared it maybe once or twice on various episodes, but uh, when my wife and I, uh, when we were dating and I had set up fish tanks, this is back when we lived in Sacramento, California, and I had, you know, a couple hundred gallons worth of tanks at my house. Um, she, you know, showed an interest in, in getting a tank. And so we set up a 55 gallon, uh, fancy goldfish tank for her in her room. And we yep. did like, um, so 3M makes this salt or sand that you basically put into the epoxy coat. I think it's epoxy coating on a pool. Mm-hmm. And so I picked up this, you know, a couple bags of turquoise, um, of this turquoise material, washed it real well, put some fake coral in there. And so it was completely like, this is like, you know, Heiko Blair, not a biotope tank <laughs> whatsoever, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we had like a ranchu and a um, and a lion head and you know really cool um, a couple really cool fancy goldfish in there and she really really liked uh, it. So I just um, I love them. They're such dopes, you know. Like especially these arandas. I jokingly tell people that they're basically the English bulldog of the fish world because oh, nice. we've just bred them to be so crazy looking and they have so many issues with swimming. But I you know I like English bulldogs too. So no surprise there. <laughs> oh, good times. Yeah, they're they're definitely. Uh, I like I like the internet term. They're a derp fish. Yes, that's perfect. <laughs> Doing the the cuttlefish thing sounds super awesome, but I want to respect your time because I know that we you know we don't we have time, but I don't want to have you drag out your story too long. Now, uh, one of the things I want to know is, as a kid, I think like seventy five percent of us at one point or another in our childhood want to be a vet. Like we all love animals, um, but you know, between like being a vet, a firefighter, or an astronaut, uh, for me, for me, it was a fighter pilot. But like we don't, we like we we fall off the tracks. We don't fall through with the dream. But clearly, like you stuck with it. Or I guess at least at what point did you know you want to be a vet? And kind of walk me through like how you stayed on that course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's it's funny that you mentioned the fighter pilot thing because one of my best friends is a veterinarian and her husband is a fighter pilot. And so they're like the coolest oh, people I know. Oh, my goodness. I know. Gotta make a right? movie about they're them. Way too cool for me to be friends with them. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I kind of I did want to be a vet when I was a kid, just like everybody else, and then kind of fell off that track and was thinking about all sorts of other things. And then when I was in college, I was studying marine biology, thinking that I would go and do a master's or a PhD, do some research. Uh, And so I had this research project with these cuttlefish. And I realized that I just hated the data collection part of it. You know, the actual like nuts and bolts of doing research. I was really awful at. Um, I just hated it and it was boring, but I loved every single day getting to get up and take care of these animals. Um, and then we started to have some issues with um, cuttlefish and squid can get this thing called butt burn, <laughs> which is when they kind of bounce into the walls of their enclosures and we can get some rubbing and so we had some issues and we didn't have anything really to take care of them. And so I had to do this research and figure out what medicine I could get over the counter to help them. And that really sparked this. Um, okay. I love this. You know, I can see myself doing this and 
to me at this point, I still look at medicine as a little bit of magic, you know, like I have all this knowledge, but it's an art and you get to apply it and to heal things. It's just the most amazing thing. I'm, I'm so proud that I get to do it. Um, so once I figured that out, that there was no future for me in research, I decided to go back to just really loving taking care of animals and their people. Oh, that's so cool. And actually, as you, <laughs> as you said, Buttburn, I instantly thought of the title of this episode could be Dr. Ashley Emanuel on Buttburn. Like, <laughs> I love it. That, that would, I probably won't go with that. I think I'll come up with something better. But so, what, what was the? You said so. It was an over-the-counter solution that ended up being the the fix oh, for God, Bob Yeah, and this is horrifying. It ended up being the best thing that we could use was malachite green. Um, oh, and I, I think about it and I'm like, oh my God, I totally, you know, I'm going to get cancer down the road because of that moment right there where I was using gloves and, you know, applying it topically to these animals. And, uh, again, right. With looking back and thinking all the things that we should have done better, <laughs> um, povidone iodine works really well too. Oh, okay. And so is, uh, and you know, forgive my ignorance on this, but you're applying the malachite green, I guess, what is it doing to the butt burn that ended up helping it be, um, to work? Cause I, in my head, I feel like the moment you put anything on a, a water critter and put it back in the water, it's instantly going to like wash off. Right. So, Oh my God. Yeah. You're, you're describing my life and how frustrating <laughs> things are, but, um, so it basically was just kind of a topical antiseptic. And so we were just, you know, the big issue with any animal in an aquatic environment is, you know, they're swimming in their toilet bowl pretty much, you know, you can't ever have sterile water with an animal. And so there's going to be a great opportunity for bacteria to get into infected wounds and make things worse. So we were just kind of trying to seal it off and be, you know, have a level of antibacterial protection for them. Mm -hmm. and, and so another question popped in my head. Now, when I think of like a university research lab um, where they've got fish and they're doing studies and whatnot, I inherently assume that the animal husbandry is on point, right? And they would probably yep. like make um, the, the, the normal hobbyist ashamed as far as like water change schedule and filtration and all that stuff. Is that, is that a true statement? Um, I, you know, I really do have to give a shout out to the lab at Roger Williams, which I have a friend who's managing it right now, and they do such an incredible job with their husbandry. So your impression of that is absolutely right. And actually at Roger Williams, they do a flow through system because it's right on uh, an estuarine bay. And so you get like fresh salt oh. water and, you know, my guys were on a flow through system and then we had recirculation as an element of it too with a biofilter. And so it was really, really awesome. And that's a big part of the learning curve for researchers and for students. You know, you have to get that husbandry experience as well. Okay. And then, I'll, yeah, the other thing that popped in my head was essentially the free labor in undergrad, right? Like, <laughs> Yes, definitely slave labor. I yeah. didn't get to study abroad really or go anywhere. And I spent most of my vacations on campus because I was taking care of these critters, but totally worth it. And it definitely guided me down the path that I, I found. So. Oh, awesome. And so now, so let's talk about now you are, you've graduated, so marine biology, and then you've graduated with your, um, a veterinary degree from North Carolina State University, um, yep. and now you are at Avian and Exotic Animal Vet Hospital. So, I mean, yep. what, what is this experience like, and, and how long have you been there? Oh, my God, it's so much fun. So I'm in my fourth year of practicing, um, and I started with this group right out of uh, veterinary school. I got really lucky to be in a 100% exotics practice because those are pretty rare. And so we are so busy. Um, we have, oh, gosh, 
five doctors at this point, five doctors. Um, and we just are running all day. We're super, super crazy busy. Um, so it's a lot, a lot of fun. The, the big majority of what we see would be like small exotic mammals. So bunnies, guinea pigs, um, the sugar gliders that try to eat your fingers. Um, and I'm trying really hard to build up our aquatic clientele because I love it so much. So Okay. That's been uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, and, and I guess in my head, I, I picture like your average bunny customer is going to be like the mom and dad coming in with like six-year-old little Sally that's super crying and she's holding her bunny that's sick. Is that is that fairly representative of who's bringing bunnies yeah. in? Or <laughs> Yes, there's okay. a good amount of that, of the terrified bunny being held by a six-year-old. Totally wrong. Um, but, you know, we have a lot of people and... I love to tell this anecdote that we have a lot of people who can't have dogs or cats for some reason. And so these small mammals or birds or fish are their family pet. Um, I worked with a family who had a beta fish that I ended up diagnosing with melanoma. Um, but these guys were so wonderful and they just wanted to do everything for this fish because their little boy had severe allergies and they're like, this is our golden retriever. Like, let's do everything we can for it. So, um, those kind of people are really why I get up and I do my job every day. So a family brought in their betta fish and you yep. diagnose it with melanoma. <laughs> is, yeah. is that not skin cancer? It is. Um, so it's a cancer of pigment bearing cells. Okay. Cells. So, um, he had this really weird kind of friable or, you know, a mass that falls apart really easily. And we were able to do a little scrape and a biopsy on it, look at it under a microscope and we submitted it to a pathologist too. Um, and it came back as melanoma. So we ended up kind of just taking as much of the mass off as we could and keeping him comfortable. And they got some good time with him, which is, you know, ultimately the goal, right? Comfort and time. Okay. And so, so there was, there, in long term, there was really nothing to do. It, it was just something that still ended up kind of just, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. like actual chemotherapy or vaccines for melanoma or anything, just we don't have that yet in fish medicine. I'm optimistic that one day we'll catch up to dog and cat, but we're not there yet. Gotcha. And so, to talk a little bit more about avian and, and exotic as a practice, um, and it doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily have to be fish related, like what are some of the craziest stories that you can share with <laughs> us that has come into that, that um, practice? Oh my God. So, um, we do see a decent amount of primates, which is always uh, an adventure having a monkey in the clinic um yeah that's kind of a, a exciting moment um oh, wow. especially when people bring them in on like a leash and they're jumping all over our reception desk and our receptionists are just like made of steel they're like ma'am could you please remove your monkey from the counter in front of me <laughs> you know? wow like, so is north carolina kind of like one of those wild west states when it comes to animal like what you can keep and what you can't yeah, so okay. they're they're pretty hardcore about wildlife, which is great. Um, but otherwise, you know, there are some regulations on what you can breed in the state, but you can have quite a few things. So oh man, so are they the, don't they don't lock down too much on that. So are these like the little monkeys coming from like friends, like Ross's monkey from friends, like those little guys, or is somebody bringing in yeah. like actual chimpanzees? Um, so little guys mostly like that. So capuchins and marmosets. Okay. We have a couple lemurs. Um, my boss has worked with a baboon, I believe, which is just oh, terrifying. Um, so those guys are always really interesting. But I mean, in our lobby at any given moment, you know, we have turkeys or peacocks. There's usually, you know, you can have a fish client coming in with a big bucket. Um, lots of little guinea pigs and rabbits, like I said, birds usually, you know, screaming and cursing. My favorite are the birds that know the bad words. I really love that. <laughs> um, yeah. 
But in terms of my my usual answer for when people ask, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen? Um, I had a, a really, really wonderful client who does education. And so she has all these just nutso animals that she brings in. But she had a screaming, hairy armadillo that she brought in. And it was just the cutest thing. And I, I wanted one. But most people didn't even know that was an animal. A scr- so it was it was a <laughs> screaming hairy or it was a hairy armadillo that was screaming. <laughs> it what? is actually called a screaming hairy armadillo. And is it indigenous to North America? Uh, that's a great question. I think it's actually Australian. Australian? Okay. Wow. Every, everything weird comes from Australia. So when in doubt, that's a good, you know, everything, answer. <laughs> everything weird and that wants to kill you comes from Australia. Yes. Yes. True statement. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. And so, wow, that is super crazy. And I feel like the, the parrot thing, yeah, like hearing a parrot curse is probably one of the funniest things out there. Um, next to maybe hearing a kid curse and then you're like, oh no, like you're kind of like, no, oh, don't, don't curse child. You try not child. to laugh and <laughs> yeah. encourage it, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. South America. I'm sorry. I don't want to um, lead your audience astray. I looked at while we were talking South America for the screaming hairy armadillos. I feel like, I feel like I have been over, I think I'm going on like episode 40, I think it'll be episode 49 and I have been fact checked a couple times. Like it hasn't Ooh. been, it hasn't been anything like <laughs> crazy, but in, in, okay. in defense of the fact checkers, I'm pretty sure that it's one of those situations where like a guest and I will say something and we're like, somebody fact check us. And then somebody does fact check us. So, All right. Well, rest easy, fact checkers. I correct myself. South America. (laughs) Wow. That's like the pet of the day. The the screaming, hairy (laughs) armadillo. I was really disappointed that didn't scream. (laughs) That's funny. Well, even during examination, it didn't scream as like a defense stress mechanism. I mean, so it was this animal used as education. So it was really sweet. It was just hanging out on the floor and it came over and checked us out and ate some mealworms, <laughs> you know, it was a, I didn't want to make it scream. I didn't want to scare it, but yeah, a little bit of a bummer that I didn't get to hear it live up to its name. All right. I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to Google this right now because I need to, <laughs> this is, this is going to make for a wonderful, uh, voice. Armadillo. Oh yeah. That, okay. They're kind of cute, right? I mean, as cute as an armadillo can be. Yeah, the well, the yeah, the, the the pictures I see, I think they're little babies, but yeah, those are pretty cute. Yeah, they're all right. <laughs> That's awesome. And so the and you brought up uh, you see the sugar gliders, right? So I see those yes. here in Washington State at our at our state fairs, um, mm-hmm. and I hear that those are like like they look and I've held them. They're the most adorable thing, and the way that they <laughs> they portray them, they're like the perfect pet ever. Their poop smells right. like fruit and all this stuff but i'm pretty sure i hear that there's this side of like yeah no we probably shouldn't be having these things in captivity like what what are your thoughts on that i you know it's so funny you say that because i feel like that about so many animals that i actually see in practice you know i'm, I'm here to provide medical care for them to provide education but i feel like a lot of these animals that i work with we shouldn't have as pets and sugar gliders are they're really tough um and i'm so sorry we're talking about sugar gliders on your fish podcast, no no this is but... this is fine i had a whole episode on uh, dart frogs so this is okay we're, nice. we're, we're about okay. to get we're gonna get the fish nutrition so people will okay perfect <laughs> people won't skippers come back and we're gonna get yeah them. um but so, yeah, they're complicated little creatures. Um, they really are social. And so you need to have a whole bunch of them. And then inevitably, they prefer the other sugar glider to you. And so people are grumpy because they're like, they don't want to hang out with me. And I'm like, well, you're not a sugar glider. You're huge. And you scare them a little bit. But, you know, they're nocturnal. Um, if they're left on their own, they can self-mutilate, which is really awful. Uh, so they're, you know, they're not for the faint of heart. And you know, we were talking about fish nutrition a little bit before. We're going to talk about it more. But these guys, sugar gliders, are one of those ones that 
you have to really work at their diet to avoid a lot of health issues. So um, maybe start with a fish yeah, yeah. <laughs> and get their diet under control. And well, then we'll talk about a sugar glider. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, as far as like, I mean, the things kind of sell themselves, unfortunately, when they're, when these, yeah. you know, when these gals are at the state fair selling them, they're dressed mm-hmm. like they're, you know, crocodile hunter and their dungarees or whatever it is. <laughs> yep, and, you know, these yep. little sugar gliders are just going in pockets and stuff and they sell the and little their eyes are huge. Yeah. They're, they're so cute. Yeah, and, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think they sell for like 500 bucks a pop or something so oh my god it's like you almost need to drop like five grand just to have enough so that they have that social interaction which no i I doubt many people are going to drop five grand at the washington evergreen state fair so um (laughs) you know and some sugar gliders but yeah no i mean thank you know thank you for your opinion on that and it's just something that you know every time i see sugar gliders pop up i'm like aren't we not supposed to have those amongst other things but yeah there's a lot of things i think we're not supposed to have but you know my role as an exotic vet is just to make sure they're getting the best care that they possibly can and a big part of that comes from education which is why i'm so happy to be on the podcast too because i think the more we can educate people on taking care of all of their animals um you know that i might put myself out of a job but (laughs) it's better (laughs) in the long run for the animals yeah no i mean if we if we grow the hobby and there's going to be newbies of us and you know i i think yeah hopefully if we just grow the hobby you'll even even if we are able to spread the good information you know we're, we're still yeah. going to have a need for really well practiced the uh, practice vets and and on that point so you said you want to help build up the aquatics kind of arm of your practice what yeah. are some of the things that that you're doing to try to build up and, and get more aquatics presence in your practice so I know you mentioned that we met at the aquatic experience. And so that's a big part of what I'm trying to do right now is just to get out there. And even if it's not in my region, just kind of spreading the good word that there are veterinarians out there who love fish and are pursuing as much education as they can and, and want to be there to help. Um, really, that's why vets do what they do. We're all just helpers. Um, so there's some really great information out on the internet, but based on a veterinary website. So is one of the groups that I'm in actually has a find a fish vet tab on their website. Uh, So you can put in where you are and they'll help you find somebody locally who's advertised themselves as somebody who wants to see fish and has some education in that. So just getting out there and even spreading that word, I think is helping. And then, you know, trying to go to the vet school and just do my best with every case I see in the hopes that it spreads, (laughs) that there's somebody out there who can help. Well, yeah, I mean, mission accomplished. So there's, you know, there's a there's a decent uh, audience that listens to this podcast across all 50 states, and we do have a bit of a global presence as well. Um, can- Canada, UK, Australia. I mean, there's there's a ton of people all around the the, the world that listen to this podcast. Which, you know, I'm not toot my own horn, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, you can help get that message out there. Um, and I think Skype, yeah. I think Skype actually cut out when you name dropped. Um, where can people oh. go if they want to find a local fish vet? So in the United States, it's the American Association of Fish Veterinarians website, and there's a Find a Fish Vet tab right on there. So you can uh, check it out and put in your zip code or your state, and you know vets have to say to the website, hey, I'm, I'm out here. Here's where I am. We have to log in and register ourselves. So anybody who's on there wants to be seeing fish and has some education with them. Okay, very cool. So I'll make sure I have uh, a link to that in the show notes so people Great. have a a quick click to that. They don't have to go back to minute, minute 27 of the podcast to, <laughs> to find what that link was. So awesome. Very cool. Um, and so then let's, let's talk about then your, your talk at aquatic experience, which I thought was sure. super amazing. Um, Dr. Ashley, Emanuel, I'll, I'll emphasize Dr. Ashley Emanuel, <laughs> your take on fish nutrition. 
Yeah. So I, I find it so, so exciting. I mean, I like nutrition anyway, but this is one of those areas that I think checks a lot of boxes. So nutrition in general is a great kind of cornerstone for building a relationship with your veterinarian, discussing what the right food for whatever your animal is, is, is something that we do. And it's something that we have background in. And a lot of people <laughs> accuse vet schools of kind of paying off vet students. So like big food companies like Hills and Purina. Um, I'm here to say that nobody paid me off. I wish they did. <laughs> you know, that would be great. Please pay my vet bills. Um, but, but, you know, we have to take courses in nutrition. And so, you know, establishing that relationship with your vet, even just by starting to say, hey, here's my animal. What do I feed them um, is a great first step. And in terms of fish, there's so many facets to this. So there's an environmental responsibility and being aware of what we're feeding uh, you know, in terms of fish meal and sustainability and these ingredients. And there's just knowing your fish and knowing what the right thing to feed them f would be. And we can help with that. And then finally, I know we talked about it a little bit at the talk, but we can talk about it here too. There's some really cool additives that we can put into fish food that provide immune stimulation, and, you know, reduce stress. And so we could actually be reducing loss, reducing morbidity and mortality in stressful situations like, you know, shipments or a new tank or something like that. Yeah, and so what would be what would be some of those additives that um, maybe in like somebody that's doing home breeding and they're they're selling via Aquabid um, that they could yeah. put that they could feed their fish or maybe that would be the same kind of additive at home. So the great things to look for are things like um, garlic, believe it or not. So allium is garlic, and it's got a really great immune stimulation property, and so that's really wonderful, and it's easy. Um, there are other things like propolis, which actually comes from bees, and that's pretty neat. Uh, it's, it actually improves growth, and it can alleviate some toxic symptoms too, which is great. So if you accidentally have some BPA issues, propolis has been shown to help reverse that. Uh, and ascorbic acid, good old vitamin C, is good for everybody, and it's really good for fish. Um, there have been studies out there about things like ginger and mistletoe as well, so some really interesting common things that people have heard. And so should those be things like, I'm going down to GNC and I'm looking for that to grind <laughs> up in a mortar and pestle and, and put in the food? Or um, have you found fish companies, fish food companies, are already incorporating those into their foods? So some fish food companies are starting to incorporate these things. And we're also starting to learn that some of these more common ingredients, things like spirulina, uh, actually do have some health benefits as well. And so start by looking for your fish food to have things like spirulina, garlic, and, you know, in some cases, ascorbic acid. But uh, the trick with that to know is that ascorbic acid in particular goes rancid after a little bit of time. And so you know, we have to kind of tread carefully because you could buy this fancy, expensive fish food, but then nothing is working after 30 days. So it's kind of a, a double-edged sword there. Oh yeah, that would that'd be a bummer. Yeah, it would be a huge bummer. <laughs> yeah, and one of the one of the plugs. So I, you know, I I now work for Aquarium Co-op as a director of operations, and we sell um, we sell the Sarah line of food amongst you know Hakari and, mm -hmm. and a few others, and they do yep. have the the Sarah Onip tab. The so the Sarah Onip tabs, and they have a spirulina version, and we haven't really talked about it much, but yeah, to your point of you know spirulina being good, um, I just bought a big giant jug of it because I'm starting to culture uh, Daphnia, so I'm putting spirulina oh, awesome. in some of the some of the Daphnia food that I'm feeding, um, which I, I don't. I, I'll be completely honest. Like I've watched some videos and read some articles, but this whole Daphnia thing is, is completely foreign to me. And I'm just like <laughs> hoping I'm putting in the right amount of food. It's been like a week now. They're still kind of alive. I see little babies. So I think I'm doing all right with the Daphnia. <laughs> but... Hey man, as long as you can see them moving a little bit, then I think you're doing okay. But that's so cool that you're doing that. Cause that's, 
something that veterinarians are starting to study too. So this concept of what's called bioaccumulation, right? Can we medicate the tiny, tiny foods that are lower on the food chain and then feed that as a natural food item, but we're still getting the supplementation or even the medication that we need in our larger, more valuable, more important fish that are higher up the food chain. So that's a pretty cool Mm -hmm. kind of frontier for vets too. Is that a fancy name for gut loading? Yes, it totally is. Oh my God, being a vet is just knowing the lingo. That's all it is. <laughs> oh, good times. Uh, and, and so then there there are some other buzzwords, right? Like there's some yeah. there's some kind of topics that you brought up, or some some you know ingredients slash marketing that's kind of going on right now that you have some some opinions on. So um, I mean, I guess I can kick that off with like probiotics. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm from New Jersey. I take umbrage with almost everything. It's just the way I am. But, um, you know, so probiotics and gluten-free and all of these crazy things, a lot of it is just preying on people who are well-intentioned, you know, who want to do the best thing they can for their pets and particularly their fish. I think probiotics and prebiotics have a great place in the nutrition industry, especially if we can use them to provide immune support. But, you know, it's not going to cure your fish of a disease to do a probiotic. Um, And we also don't know that much about the gut flora in a fish. So how do we even know we're giving them the right bacteria? Yeah. And so, you know, not that I'm an expert on probiotics or prebiotics, but I know from, was it Kathy Lee no, what's her name? The the gal from Halloween that does the uh, Activia yogurt commercials. Oh, yeah, Jamie. <laughs> Jamie, Jamie Lee Curtis. Curtis. That's the one. <laughs> so I know from Jamie Lee Curtis that probiotics, <laughs> it's we're basically trying to introduce beneficial beneficial gut bacteria via, yeah. via yep. the yogurt or some other food um, <laughs> to humans, which, you know, again, kind of the theme, I believe, of your conversation is, um, you know, there's just – there's things we know about fish, but like relative Mm -hmm. to dogs and cats and some of these other animals that we've had as pets for much longer, um, we don't know nearly as much about them, um, about the fish as we do the, the, the other animals. So yeah, it's almost, I guess, what, what, what does a, what's the difference between a probiotic and a prebiotic then? So the probiotic is the actual little critters, right? The little bacteria that you're trying to feed. And the prebiotics are food for those little bacteria. So like extra carbohydrates, imagine it like a gut fertilizer. Oh, interesting. And so, (laughs) (laughs) and any, so any other buzzwords then in the, in the fish food world? (laughs) Um, you know, I don't think that the whole, uh, gluten-free thing has crossed over into fish medicine yet, but I have serious issues with that too, especially because a lot of like you know, dog and cat medicine, it's not necessarily the carbs or the sugars, it's the proteins that are causing allergies. And we were joking before about how in the world would we know if a fish had a food allergy. Um, So I I just don't think that we know enough if there are protein allergies out there. But you know, gluten free and all natural and all that stuff doesn't really have a lot of substance behind it, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think the the whole gluten free. I mean, for me, you know, knowing a couple people that actually are are afflicted by celiac, um, yeah. and knowing how it's you know companies are are marketing towards you know people that that think they need gluten free when they really don't, yeah. and yeah. It, it's almost you know I I hate to say the word offensive, but it's almost offensive that you know people that are afflicted by celiac and it's and it's truly damaging. You know yes. they're. Like, I guess it's great that more and more foods are becoming gluten-free for them, right? Because everybody yep. else thinks that they need it. But at the same time, it's like, you know, we're just preying on people that think they need something. And now it's potentially crossing over. It is kind of crossing over into the fish world. 
Absolutely. You know, the, the nutrition industry in general, I think, found a, an exposed nerve that they could target with people who are worried about them having themselves having gluten issues. And they're kind of like, oh, maybe we can convince them that their pets have gluten issues, too. And, you know, that really hasn't been studied extensively in veterinary medicine. And I, I completely agree with you that, you know, the people who are genuinely afflicted with this, um, it's not it's not a joking matter. And so for people to be like, oh, I'm, I'm gluten intolerant. I want to be like, have you been tested? Like, you know, typical doctor response, but yeah, yeah, and then <laughs> yeah, and so and then on the note of um, land-based proteins, <clears throat> so yep. a, pre- a previous guest and I we talked about um, you know with with, with Oscars in particular, um, I had had Oscars and I did my own beef heart recipe, you know, beef heart nice. with some pellet and some and some prawns. My mom hated me because I used her Cuisinart to make it, oh, <laughs> which no. was kind of awesome. <laughs> uh, but that was years ago, uh, and so you know we were kind of on this thread of. Uh, you know, land-based protein, like coming from beef, coming from, you know, where, whatever it may be, uh, may actually be detrimental to fish, aquatic life. But, you know, neither he or I are scientists or vets, so we don't really have a leg to stand on when it comes to any type of research or any type of like, you know, I've done research in X, so I can kind of make an, a, an, a, a, an educated guess on this. What, what is your take then on, on feeding beef heart to Um, You know, let's just be very specific, like a South American cichlid. Right. So, you know, that's not something that they would naturally eat. Um, And so my take on it is their gut has evolved to digest a certain type of protein. And so we want to feed as close to their natural diet as we possibly can. And that holds true for every fish species out there. Um, That's why things like varying diets and, you know, you were even mentioning you had some pellets in there and you had beef heart and you had some other things. That probably was most beneficial to your Oscar um, than it was, you know, giving them the actual beef heart. The variety, I think, is more important than anything. But, yeah, they just they're not out there like jumping out of the water and chewing down a cow. So I think that as close to the natural protein for them that we can get, the better off they'll be. So then if you had, if you had the magic wand to control the, (laughs) the, the fish food industry, would that be something that you would just strike from like any type of aquatic marketing? Like no, like frozen beef heart, just Ashley waves a magic wand should not be sold to consumers that have aquatic pets. Yes, because I think that there are better options. I really do. I know that that's kind of, you know, what people have always done, but sometimes what we've always done isn't the best thing. Uh, And I think, you know, we have to walk this really careful line because in aquatic animals, the ideal protein source is something like fish meal. But then we start talking about a huge sustainability issue with fish meal. So I think we have to tread carefully. And um, I think that that's where something like insects as a protein source may play a really cool role. Yeah. And so before we segue into the, the insects, which thank you for the nice segue. Um, <laughs> ah, you're welcome. <laughs> I always appreciate a nice segue. Um, the, are, were you familiar with back in the day, uh, they would feed raw hamburger to angelfish for breeding? Oh. Oh my have God. you heard that? No, I've yeah. never heard that, and yeah. that's horrifying. Yeah, apparently, <laughs> multiple people, multiple people have told me like one of the angelfish uh, breeders' tricks was to feed raw hamburger, and it would spur huh. it would spur the spawning. Which I I don't like any guess as to why that may be like I mean so probably so we think about animals when they breed in the wild any animal the thing that triggers often breeding seasons are things like um, high fat foods being available or an abundance of food being available right we see everybody start to breed in the spring when all the berries and everything are out so that may have been what it was that you kind of 
God, hit them real hard with some good fat and protein. And they're like, all right, now's a good time to have some babies while the food's good. Oh, man. Um, that's, that would be the only thing I could think of. But that's nuts. I, I haven't heard that before. I yeah, guess yeah. If, it, if it works, okay. But, but then who knows? I can't medically support that. Let's but then, that. The, yeah, yeah. But then who knows what, uh, what you're introducing, right? Like the raw hamburger, yes. uncooked hamburger into the, yes. into the fish's digestive system. Yeah. Well, I mean, even just a human health risk, right? Like, geez, you know, we shouldn't be handling too much raw hamburger anyway, but to be dunking it in your fish tank and, you know, potentially introducing horrible things like salmonella and would that grow somewhere? Yeah. That, yeah, that's scary. Yeah. I was always kind of curious as as to like who the first person was to like, I don't know, were you, were you walking to the grill and you went through your fish room and you accidentally dropped some in an angelfish tank and then you saw him go nuts for it or... Yeah. Or, did, or did somebody like just really put their, you know, their, their, you know, they got their hand on their chin, kind of stroking their beard, and they're in the, like the, <laughs> the butcher section, like, yeah, man, like that kind of looks like a worm, maybe, right? Like the long, yeah. stringy pieces of hamburger, but I could right. do that. Oh man, I don't know. I would love to meet that person and ask them though, because that that's got to be interesting. Like, yeah, maybe some hamburger, you, you know? And so how you, many things did they try first? Right? You know, so that person would swear by it though. Like they would be like, yep. I don't, I don't care what school you went to. This crap works. Works. <laughs> Look at yeah, all these angelfish in here. Angelfish. Yeah. All right. I can't fault you for it. <laughs> Crazy. Okay, so you had talked about um, bug protein. So yeah. um, I know I'm feeding some, and, and we could throw brands out there. So Fluval Bug Bites, the small um, tropical yep. fish formula. I've watched mm-hmm. their videos. So they're having it produced um, bug bites. I believe the, the black soldier fly larva is coming from a facility in Canada. And nice. I'm almost positive that that same facility um, provides a good number of proteins to actually like human um, human consumption and all sorts of other places. It's not just like they're only making it exclusively for fluval. Like the black soldier fly larva meal is going into all sorts of stuff. So what's your what's your yep. take on that? So black soldier fly larvae are just my favorite things in the whole world. I think that they're really, really cool. Um, and, you know, the estimates out there, I was reading a PBS article saying that 80% of the world gets protein from insects. And I think in the United States, we're one of those that are kind of like, Ooh, I've, I've tried bugs. They're not too bad. Um, but we're definitely lagging behind even in terms of humans, what we can feed. And I think we're more willing to feed it to our animals than we are to our people first, but maybe a future for people too. But these black soldier fly larvae are so, so cool. Um, they can convert nasty stuff like compost and animal waste into like 42% protein if you feed them out, which is a lot, you know, for reference, that's, that's a ton of protein, more than you would see in fish meal. Um, so they're a really cool, sustainable, easy to raise, clean source of protein. And we do see fish that eat bugs, right? We have some fish that will eat things off the surface of the water. And so we're getting closer to a natural protein uh, than maybe a beef heart. <laughs> okay. And in, in, in the black soldier fly larva, is it, or the black soldier fly in general, um, is there any... I guess, is it like a mosquito where it lays its eggs in kind of a water raft? So it already kind of has, like, it's not outside of the the realm of possibility that a fish in some environment would come across these? Or is it just that? So, yeah, they're not water, you know, water bearing in terms of like a little raft of eggs or anything like that. But I just think insect protein is probably closer than 
bovine protein. Sure, sure, sure. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, my, that's probably one of the staple foods in my fish room is that, uh, Fluval tropical, uh, bug bites. Um, I I would like to see them develop a bug bite that is a little bit softer. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like that would really push that food over the edge. I'm sure that there's maybe some, some food production, uh, difficulties to come over, but I feel like if they're able to make those granules, um, a little bit softer, like, like everything would go gonzo for it. But as it is right now, it's, um, it's pretty good. And, And then kind of on that point though, is variety. So that is just one yeah. of the foods that I feed in my fish room. I've talked about, I do feed Sarah O'Nip, which has, um, God, off the top of my head, Corey will probably kill me if I don't, if I get this wrong, but it's, um, <laughs> I think there's krill and, um, I think there's some other really, really good stuff in there. So I, I'm almost positive yeah. krill for sure is in there. Maybe some daphnia is, I think, actually in there as well. Yeah. Um, probably some fish meal, but a good variety uh, just in the Sarah O'Nips. But for me, like my rotation, not in any particular order. Um, so Hikari Viber Bites are a staple in my fish room. The uh, Bug Bites are a staple in my fish room. I probably have three different flake foods that I feed at any given time. Um, Sarah GVG Treat Mix, which is one of those, which has some uh, freeze-dried krill in it. Or gomerosorms, one of those two. But anyway, I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, in my fish room, I feed a variety of foods. And part of that, and, and, and on a rotation, and a part of that is because of your talk. Um, where oh, you talked about, you. yeah, yeah, where, see, somebody, somebody out there was paying attention and actually put it in practice. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know about those other guys and that bagnaw guy, but, you know, me, <laughs> for sure, in my fish room. Um, and so, yeah, I'm trying to feed a variety of foods. And, you know, what is your, what is your take on why that's a good thing that I should be doing that? So I absolutely love that because we don't know perfectly what to feed each type of fish, right? Like we have to do gut analysis uh, to figure out exactly what they're eating in the wild and then do our best to approximate that in the home aquarium. And so feeding a variety means that you have a better chance of kind of pressing all those nutritional buttons that they need. So you have a better chance of meeting the protein requirements, meeting the vitamin requirements, and, you know, in some cases, even getting a little bit of that plant protein in there and then some of these really cool additives, like we mentioned spirulina earlier, we can get some really nice immune stimulating benefits. They're got some omega fatty acids, which are amazing. And so I think by just balancing everything, again, we're getting closer to what that natural diet should be for them. You know, there isn't a, a giant fish food dispenser hanging over the Atlantic Ocean. And so we have to do our best to get close to what they would actually eat in the wild to keep them as healthy as possible. Yeah. And like you talked about, especially in a community tank where you've got different fish, like even if, even if you were able to dial in, like, let's say panda quarries, right? That's a pretty mm-hmm. staple bottom dwelling fish. Even if you're able to get the exact food for your panda quarries, you're probably going to have like two or three other species of fish in that tank yep. that aren't exactly going to eat the same thing as those panda quarries. So yes, trying exactly. to, trying to sprinkle that variety of food in there. So everybody's getting those, um, those, you know, what was the term you used? Touchstone? cornerstone oh, yeah like a yeah it's touchstone or a cornerstone i'm just i'm just saying stuff <laughs> <laughs> but so that everybody is getting getting you know their the elements that they need for to be healthy right exactly we're checking all those boxes for everybody awesome and then so one of the, so then in my head one of the questions that came up was in having dogs like my entire life dogs and, and mm-hmm. cats um i know that especially for dogs the vets have always told me to make sure that you feed a consistent diet and that changing out their dry food is you know you want to do that as, as minimal as possible right so why is it yeah. that for dogs I should be feeding the same kibble as consistently as possible, but for fish, it's it's actually okay to, to vary it up. 
And that's, that's a fabulous question. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. So with dogs, one of the big concerns is something like allergies. So, you know, you have this dog that's incessantly chewing on their paws or they get hot spots and they're itchy and they're keeping you up all night because they're scratching themselves. Uh, in research, a lot of those allergies are protein based. And so if you're out there every month changing your dog's diet and you do crazy things like duck and kangaroo, um, when it comes time to eliminate protein, proteins to help your animal, you've already exposed them to a lot of these proteins. Your vet's going to have a really hard time figuring out what's going to be the best diet for them. Um, these little carnivores that we share our homes with also can get things like diarrhea. And so the most basic thing, you know, you don't want your dog having diarrhea all over the place because you switch their food too fast. Their guts kind of get used to that. But in terms of fish, again, we, you know, we just aren't, we don't have a perfect homogenized pellet for them like we do for a dog or a cat. So striking that balance of introducing a couple different things to make sure that we get everything into them that they need, I think is the most ideal situation. Um, and also how in the world, again, would we know if a fish had a food allergy, um, maybe some buoyancy issues with lots of gas bubbles, but that's probably the only thing I can think of. Gotcha. Which almost kind of sounds like a fancy goldfish just on a regular basis, right? Right. Yeah. Just a bad day for an Aranda. But. <laughs> so I, I know the benefits of baby brine shrimp in a fish room when you're, when you're breeding fish, when you're raising fish. Um, what would you say to somebody that is exclusively feeding baby brine shrimp? Unless you're gut loading them, you're not establishing, you know, everything that these animals need because they wouldn't just eat brine shrimp in the wild. And so thinking about the wild animal isn't appropriate in all of these pets. So, you know, you don't have a pack of pugs taking down a deer in the middle of your street. So we can't feed dogs like we feed wolves. But fish haven't really, you know, been bred to the point of being wildly different from their natural counterparts. So I think we need to use the wild animals as an example for fish. And so they wouldn't just be eating, you know, Daphnia or they wouldn't just be eating brine shrimp. They'd be mixing things up. Gotcha. Yeah. So definitely baby brine shrimp, good, but still try to get maybe some, some like, let's say guppy fry, right? Like a lot of people love raising yeah, guppies. Yeah. So like or try... even, you know, find a good pellet or a good flake or mm -hmm. something that you can add in a good gel food. Gotcha. Do you think, what do you think of the, um, like natural instincts that maybe come out when fish are able to hunt down a Daphnia or hunt down baby brine shrimp? Have there been any studies about potential benefits of that or just shooting from the hip like that seems like something that would be good for the fish like that that kind of predator prey instinct kicking in absolutely so enrichment is good for any animal in captivity you know be it a tiger or be it an angelfish and so giving them an opportunity to do these natural behaviors i think should be the goal of the hobby right we're trying to breed them we're trying to get them to set up territories and we're trying to get them to interact like they would naturally because that's kind of the joy of the hobby and so that can absolutely extend to feeding. You get to see their natural kind of hunting instincts as scary as they can be. <laughs> yeah, no, very cool. And I, I definitely know like the, the Daphne, one of the things that people say that, you know, just drives fish crazy is that like flea-like flicking motion yep. in the water. And um, I've, I've fed uh, some initially and yeah, I mean, they definitely go crazy for it. Like they go, they go crazy for the brine shrimp, but I feel like something, there's something extra about that Daphne flick that just really makes them go nuts and, and just want to chomp them down. 
And that's fantastic. I mean, and look at it that way, too. If you ever have fish that are off their feed for some reason, you have kind of an ace in your back pocket to get them to try and eat again. So even that is great to have. Would, would you see yourself or do you already in your practice recommend, um, you know, families that come in with maybe a sick fish or just as kind of a general care guide, like, hey, you guys should try breeding baby brine shrimp once a week and feeding those to your fish. Like, <laughs> Um, I don't have quite as many dedicated clients that were there yet, but I do have some really strong enthusiasts that we do talk about um, having your own live food and the benefits of that. And I've seen people be really interested and excited about that. I think that's kind of scratching that itch of them feeling like they need to be doing the all natural and the, you know, fancy buzzwords, organic, all that stuff for their pet. I say, all right, well, you don't get much more organic than a, a brine shrimp, you know, that's the most all natural you can get. So it's, it's a good compromise. Yeah. For me, I, I would love to see us be able to build into the hobby, especially for, for families that have, um, you know, the, the family fish tank with young kids, mm -hmm. like a once a week, like family activity of brine shrimp. Right. Because I, I think that, you know, there's the whole, cause it's the whole like sea monkey experiment right but you're you know you're doing it you don't have to wait because sea monkeys i think you have to wait like four days for those suckers to hatch but if you use a brine shrimp hatcher you get them in you know 24 to 36 hours yeah. um i feel like that'd be such a great like family activity you know once a week we do the brine shrimp you know it's hatching it it's cool harvesting it is kind of a pain in the butt but can kind of be cool um and then yeah. feeding it to your tank and just watching everything in the tank go absolutely nuts for for the brine shrimp i think is is something that you know we should all in my opinion we should all be pushing that you know we should do is kind of a once a week activity for our tanks put that on the tank registry right a brine shrimp <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> but what a great way to key kids into you know natural behaviors of their animals and you know teaching them about the best possible care for your animals and that's what we're all striving for right is the the best care and the best lives for you know our hobby that we can get Yep, absolutely. And Ashley, on that note, I would love for you to give a, a shout out to your clinic and where people can find you and, um, and where people can learn more about you. And it sounds like you guys need to set up a YouTube channel or Discovery Channel <laughs> needs to come and film some of this action going down. <laughs> There's definitely some, some weirdness happening that I think would be pretty entertaining. My boss would be just the happiest person ever, I think, if we got a Discovery Channel show. But um, so it's Avian and Exotic Animal Care in Raleigh, North Carolina. And we do have a really active Facebook page that we try to put lots of cool photos and videos on. Um, our Instagram is is limping along, but hopefully we can work on that stuff a little more. But Facebook's probably the most fun way to see what we do every day. I think right now there's a video of a gigantic sulcata tortoise getting a bath is our popular thing. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. So I will make sure <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. I will make sure I have links to your guys' business webpage um and your Facebook page as well for the uh for the clinic and, and I'll see if I can scrounge and find that that's uh that Instagram to link as well. Um because the, <laughs> I mean that sounds like you know if you want to add something into your feed that you know, isn't the, the normal, like nonsense that we see on a daily basis. Like that sounds pretty cool. Like every once in a while you'll see, you know, I don't know, maybe you guys will give an African gray a bath or, you know, see somebody yeah. bring in a five gallon bucket with a giant derpy Aranda in it or, you know, who knows. <laughs> there is a, um, there's a pretty great video on our Facebook page about, um, I think we called it like when you give a fish a haircut or something. I had a, I had an Aranda that needed a wen trim and we made this whole video of the whole process and it's really cute to see his little, um, fro kind of get trimmed down and see how that impacted his mobility it's pretty fun oh nice and that doesn't actually like there's no nerve endings in the wind right 
Yeah, so there's just a, a little bit of vasculature, like a little bit of bleeding when you're doing it. And, you know, where there's blood vessels, there's often nerves. But he was anesthetized, so um, he didn't seem to bother with G- it too much. Gotcha. Very cool. So, Ashley, thank you very much again for your time. I mean, this has been such a fun and educational oh, episode. And, um, thank you, you. Yeah, and I hope maybe in the future we'll have you on again, you know. I would absolutely love that. It's been a pleasure. It's been so much fun. Awesome, Ashley. Well, thank you so much. You have a great rest of your day. You too. Thanks. Hey, excuse me, you, yeah, you listening to the Aquarius podcast, are you still there? Do you like Easter eggs? Because I really like Easter eggs. So if you're listening to this and you're like, man, that's cool, I do like Easter eggs too, be the first person to comment on this episode, let's see here, I'm not even going to edit this, yeah, be the first person to comment on the YouTube video for this episode with the comment Easter egg. The first person to do that, I'll reach out to you. Hopefully you're in the States. All right, we'll make this, let's see, can I, can I do anything special for, yeah, because I'm not saying what it is, and it's not a contest, and it's not a promotion, it's, it's just an Easter egg. So be the first person to comment on the YouTube video for this interview, and just put Easter egg. First person, I'll reach out to you, and you'll get an Easter egg. We'll see what happens. All right, I hope that was fun.